Well, I was thinking about uh, what I wanted to talk about today, and then I just happened to read an article by a Christian minister, and darn it, it was just exactly Buddhist teachings. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm finding that more and more, that there's that, if, it, if something is Dhamma, if something is truth, we see it in every spiritual path that has that truth. Um, so a lot of times, what I notice, is my conditioning may have, there are trigger phrases or trigger words that I just don't like, maybe from Christian uh, readings or listening to a Christian speaker. But it's because of my conditioning, you know, it's because of like negative experiences that I had as a child and growing up. But if I can uh, change some of those phrases even, just to be something that I'm more comfortable with, the message is the same, the lesson is the same. And uh, I don't know, you know when you're young, when you're a teenager and up, you sort of think your parents are really stupid. <laughs> and then it really is true that as you get older, your parents get smarter. And uh, I think the same is true for being able to go and to see the truth. If it's truth, if it's Dhamma, we'll find it in a lot of other traditions. And so it's really good to be open to that. And my experience has been that I have to think about my conditioning, you know, the, my past. Uh, other people have had very positive, very wonderful experiences with the, maybe the tradition they were raised in. So they don't have that hard heart or that condition that I might that makes something just, you know, cackles go up when I hear certain phrases. But um, when I can open up and let go of that, just be aware, that's because of certain, my own past experiences. That's not because there isn't truth in that. So uh, stay open to that. Keep your heart open to hearing truth whenever it presents itself. And we, we will find a path that's most comfortable for us if we're looking for a path, if that's our intention. But we can find things in so many other traditions if we can keep our hearts open. So I like to listen to Christian radio sometimes. Sometimes it's just because, it used to be because it, was, it seemed really funny. And it was in the days of Tammy Faye and Jim. And so, you know, I could watch it and I could think, that's why I'm not a Christian. You know, it was the same thing. I could find all the reasons why. It was not a path that I that I wanted, but this, that's the same thing, you know, a lot of that's changed. So uh, if we have nothing to fear with the path, the, the way we're going, then we have, then we can pick up truth from, from everything. And we learn through our own practice that we will know the difference between truth and what isn't truth, because we're investigating it all the time. So we have, there's nothing to fear. So anyway, a lot of the, the good stuff I got from what I wanted to talk about is from, is from that. And uh, what it was, I was, looking at, uh, I was looking at some things from the book uh, by Rahula on what the Buddha taught. And he was talking, one part that I really wanted to go back and study more was talking about uh, 
karma or kama and how karma is really just volitional action. So there are 52 different uh, words that can be described as volitional action. And I'm not going to say all 52 of the words. But it's, it's always our intention, our determination, our effort. It's the action. It's not, um, it's not the things that we may be just, that, have, that we have floating around. It's not anything we do accidentally or without intention. But all those words are the things we think of too when we're thinking about our practice. Uh, effort, determination, motivation, uh, the actual, the actually what we do and what we do with intention. So our intention is everything. And when I was then reading, uh, I was then reading this article by the minister. And what he was talking about was uh, pretty much the same thing and in a different way. But he was, he was using his own life experiences and he's a producer, I think, a film producer. And he was using those experiences to make his point. And it was that, and I wrote what, how, the way he said it. He said, there are only two things that we can control. And I think that's where I thought I was going to read his article and, and figure out where he was wrong. <laughs> oh, I think our point of view is probably better. But he said there are two things we can control, and I agree with him completely. It's how we prepare for what might happen, and then it's how we respond to what just happened. So that's all about that volition and that determination and that effort. We put, we put all of our effort into our preparation for what happens in our lives and then for our response to it because the things that happen are out of our control so those things and I was I was imagining if, if you looked at your life and thought okay what are all the wonderful things I've done in my life let's put the the good stuff here and the bad stuff here most of us would probably list the things that we really didn't have any control over. I got a raise at work. You know, I made a lot of money. Um, I saved a person's life. You know, we would list, uh, we would list things. And then the bad things might be, um, I lost a job. Uh, one of my kids turned out to be really rotten to the core. You know, <laughs> I was married eight times. It, you know, we could, we could go on and on. But in reality, what we should be looking at is how did we prepare for those wonderful things and for those, those tragedies and that suffering? And then how did we respond to those situations? It's less what actually happened than how we dealt with, with the joys and the pains in our life. And the example he used was, um, he was a producer, it was a movie about that Whitney Houston was in, and it came out right after she died. And she died while the movie was still in production. And so he, they, were, they, they lost, Whitney Houston died, her death was horrible, and he was very close to her, and it, was, it just affected the people on the production of the movie. So they then thought, we have this opportunity to, to put this movie out and it will be a wonderful memorial to her. 
So that was going to be a gift. Well, it turned out, as you probably know, that movie Sparkle, I think, was a big box office disaster. He said it was the biggest failure and the most suffering of anything that's happened in his life because he had so much hope and expectation that it would just be a wonderful thing that people would always remember about her. And nobody liked the movie. <coughs> so he said he had a great deal of suffering after that movie came out because it was so personally painful for him. And I don't think, I don't think the loss of money was that much of an issue because he'd already been very successful. But he felt like a failure. So he said he, he had to really come to grips with that because he knew the way he was feeling was uh, not, not lining up with what he believed. And so he, he realized he had to do a lot of, well, soul searching, which isn't exactly a Buddhist term we'd use. <laughs> he had to do a lot of, uh, for him, he had to pray a lot. And so for us, that means that's when we hit the cushion. That's when we have to sit with ourselves. We may need to talk to someone, but it's the time we need to check in and see what do I believe and how am I responding to this situation and do they line up? So he said once he, once he used the techniques he had, he got back in balance, but it only proved to him once again how right it was that we can't control. He had no control over what people thought of the movie. And he said what he could go back and see was, did I, did I create the movie the best way I could? Was I prepared? You know, did I show up on the scene? Did I do the very best I could making the movie? Did I stay flexible? And he talked about how many times they changed the movie. It was like 25 uh, times they went in and changed it because they were getting negative feedback from uh, the viewers who came in to see the early takes of the movie. So did he stay flexible and open to changing it? And did he come prepared to work every day? And did he have the right financing for the movie? You know, all of that lined up. So he had been prepared. And then he said after his initial just total, uh, he just really suffered a lot at first when the movie was a total failure. But then he righted himself, and then he was able to check. And then after that, he said he, he did do the things after the fact that he needed to do. And one of those is to, is to actually feel the emotions, you know, to feel how awful. For him, he had to really open up to, this just feels terrible. You know, I, the thing I wanted to do most in my professional life, I failed at. In this, in this whole world of success that he's had. But he said that's part of the process too. You've got to feel that. You've got to let that through. Then he said the next thing he had to do was to realize could he detach from the results? And we all know that. We, we talk about that all the time. Can we, stay, can we stay a little bit away from the results? Can we keep that non-attachment to the results of something? And then he said he, had, he knew he had to surround himself with good people. And we always talk about we need to have noble friends. And that's why we come together as a sangha to practice. We could all be sitting at home alone 
and never have contact with another person. And we could still practice the path. But the Buddha even said, when Ananda asked him how important the Sangha was, and uh, Ananda, didn't Ananda say it's maybe, it's, a, it's half of it, or see I'm looking at Todd, he used to ask if it was half of it. And the, and the Buddha told him, no, you've got it wrong, Ananda. It's not half the holy life. It's all of it. So the Sangha, these are noble friends. This is, what, this is what keeps us going and keeps us when we have these uh, failures and when we have this sorrow and when we have pain and when we feel like we haven't done it right. It's the Sangha that's, that, that should be here to help us. So he said, good people around him. And then he said, can I, can I move on from that event? Because if we stay caught up in it, we're not living in the present moment. We're living in the past. So, and the last one was, did he pray? And for us, we may, we may pray, but we, may, we know that, that that corresponds to us sitting on the cushion and allowing ourselves to just observe ourselves and learn from ourselves. So we, we're, we're all getting, when we're doing it, when we're in line with the truth, we're all getting it. This, we're all getting it. Maybe the words are a little bit different. But we all, if it's truth, we know that there's so very little that we can control. But we can control our preparation for anything, and we can control our response. And so preparation is going to be, if it's preparation, uh, with our practice, the preparation for our practice on the cushion is going to be studying the truth, studying the Dhamma, uh, having noble friends, having living a wholesome life. If the more wholesome your life is, the less you have to bring to the cushion and have come up and be kind of eating away at you, right? So it's really just a technique to, to make sitting easier. Don't have stuff like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that last night. <laughs> or um, or thinking, oh man, I shouldn't have eaten that last night, or had that to drink, or been with those people, because I know I get in trouble whenever I'm with that group of people. So the, the less things we have clouding our minds, worrying us, making us fret, then the, the easier it is to sit. And then just, when we're sitting in silence, we're working with ourselves. So that's our preparation. Then the other thing is we go through these either very wonderful or very difficult situations. Then we need to think about what's my response to it. And then we move on. So we don't, don't stay. We have to really learn to, you know, be in that terrible experience. We can't run away from it. We can try, but it doesn't really work. But then let's start working with how we deal with it how we get on with our lives because there's so much more out there that we need to experience. And some of that may be just as bad, so we need to learn from we need to learn from each experience and then keep going. It's like a wave. You know, we're preparing and the wave hits, we don't know how hard it's gonna hit or where it's gonna hit. But if we've done everything we can, we just hopefully we can ride it out and then we learn from that experience. So, go listen to Christian radio. <laughs> I don't really advise that you have to be careful about that. But.
it's also a good way to learn discrimination. Sometimes we can listen to other people's teachings and then we can start thinking, oh, this one I think, oh yeah, that one, that one has been there for me all my life. That one's really been a good teacher and a good friend. But then others we can let go or just see it's our conditioning that's caused us to push away. Yeah, Jason. Is there a Buddhist radio anywhere? Oh, you know, there, there, there is. is in Sri Lanka. <laughs> there's there one is online, a, too. What? There's o one online, online too. Online, there's the Buddhist channel. Really? Yeah. And it's it, very funny. There, there are a bunch of YouTubes I've watched recently, and it's a, it's a, I think he's an American monk, but he's in Sri Lanka, and he does a radio talk show. And you can go on YouTube and see him, and uh, he, do, you, do you know who I'm talking about? And sometimes I think, wow, he is too strict. He is too, so, but, he, but he's fun to listen to because he's answering people's questions that come up and he's in, it, it's a YouTube, you can look. It's something like Ask a Monk. It's got a, <laughs> so, and he's sitting, it looks like at somebody's kitchen table with a microphone in front of him. But, <laughs> but check out Buddha Channel. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to add or a question? Or, yeah, Jim. Yeah, that director, um, don't you think if he would have, uh, I, I don't think you mentioned this for his preparation, but if he sat and um, thought about how much he desired that movie to be a success, and maybe even imagine what if it didn't become a success, and um, in other words, reflect and, and do more preparation, then his uh, his response, he wouldn't even have to worry about it because he would have already prepared himself, which is kind of what we're doing on the cushion, you know, which is what the path It, it could be. Yeah. yeah, part of his preparation would be that. He may have felt like, well, I'm not going to think, most of the preparation for that movie, she was, <clears throat> she was alive. I mean, her death came sort of at the end of the production. So uh, I think, I think maybe the shock of her death Although if he prepared carefully, he may have intuited that that might be something that could happen any time. I don't know, but I think yeah, I think I think his his I think in part of his looking back at it afterwards, that's it strengthened his <coughs> thoughts about preparing ahead of time for that the reality that I have no control over whether people will end up liking this. For us, the way we prepare is doing exactly what we're doing this morning, and by our by our effort. And Bhante Sujata, I think, is a good example of this. I like to talk about him when he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he he always is uh, trying to be to do put in the most effort. He is the most determined person, and he puts in the most effort. And then I've seen him have to let go of things almost at that moment of fruition, and he can and he can let it go. And uh, and then I think he has to he does the same thing when that when that when whatever that disappointment happen is that happens, he has an emotional reaction to it. He allows himself to feel 
hurt or disappointed or discouraged, but then he, he immediately works with that and he immediately learns from that. And, uh, and we, we've been laughing lately about, okay, now we've got our temple and Blue Lotus has been here 10 years and we have our building and now we're starting to have to have some rules. And he said, it's just like the Buddha had to do. You know, for five years, the monastics, there wasn't a single rule because all of the monks just lived harmoniously. And no rules started, <laughs> there was no rule until some like monks came to him and said, we've got a problem, you know, we, this guy's not letting the toilet paper go over the top, it's on the top. <laughs> and they get that silly. But that was the first time he had to say, okay, they're going to keep arguing about this, so toilet paper always has to go over the top. Rule number one. You know, that's, and now there are, you know, between two and three hundred rules, there are fewer for the men and more for the, for the, for the women. But um, that's how the rules came into effect, when people just, when harmony was harder and harder. And part of that's because you, have a, you had so many more and more people and people living together. But Rules for monastics, not for lay people, right? Yeah, the, the, the two, three hundred are, are for monastics. But I think that preparation is... The, uh, for us, it's, it's our practice and it's learning. I think it includes studying and understanding and, dis and investigating for ourselves. If we, if we agree with the things that we hear, if, if it is truth for us, you know, we really, we can't just, this is my opinion, this is me personally, it's very hard to just come and listen to a nice Dhamma talk and sit and if we don't reflect on that and dig a little deeper, see if it really works for us, see if it's true for us, study what we need to study to really see, is, is this, does this align with what I believe is truth? Uh, we have to do that all the time. And that's what causes us to have that uh, no doubt. You know, we get to the place where we have no doubts about our practice and we know it works for us, we have confidence in it, and then, then it, becomes, it becomes more and more real to us. Sitting becomes more real to us. The rewards from our practice, which are not gonna be you know, like prosperity and wealth, but the rewards are going to be confidence. And that confidence is what prepares us. Then we know when some, some terrible thing happens that we will weather it, and we will learn from it. Not going to have. It may take a long time, but then we we know what we need to do. But I think the confidence only comes from practice and study and asking questions and studying some more and sitting more. And does that make sense? Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Julie. Do you, do you think that that relates to um, when Pema talks about no hope, no fear? To what? To hope and fear? Yeah, like if you don't have hope and then you won't have any fear. Mm -hmm. Say that if you don't have hope? Yeah, like Pema Children says, don't have hope. No hope. Which is right. devastating here. You know, <laughs> think no about hope, it. no fear. And that then you don't have fear. Right. Just like, because fear is that you're going to lose something, right? 
So it's so I, I yeah, and I love the way the words that Pema Chodron uses because they're strong words. We can we can sort of sugarcoat it and say it in different ways, but um, no, we say no expectations. That might be a little easier to grapple with because we're so we're so conditioned to think of hope. Like all I've got left is hope, but that's condition. That's conditioning too. But yeah, no hope, no fear. What's the one, Tyler? I like that you say. Happy with happy without. Yeah, happy with happy without. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a non-desiring. Yeah. You know, like desiring is really like a root problem. So if you don't desire, then you're kind of you're good. Yeah, hope is hope is desire. You could have a whole Dharma talk on that whole hope thing. <laughs> that whole hope thing. <laughs> hope floats. <laughs> you know, um, in, in Viktor Frankl's book about the concentration camp, he described people who had hope, and they were the ones that died. Because they, they hoped for something better, and it didn't come. Yes. People who didn't have hope did better, actually, because they were just there, and they helped you know, their fellow human or did whatever they could in that circumstance. In that, in that situation. That, that, I thought of Viktor Frankl this morning when I was thinking about this topic because he was a profound teacher for me early, early on. And his book, uh, what, yeah, is a very short book. And I know it changed my life. And it, before, way, way before I even knew anything about Buddhism. Um, so the meaning comes in just our attitude towards everything comes to being, being, you know, and he wrote it from a, a concentration camp experience, so he was grappling with the most basic, the most basic truths. Uh-huh, Kim? Well, just the, the notion of hope, to me, is when, when first somebody said that, no hope, I was like, oh, that sounds not good, and then I realized that hope is a projection. Uh, is living in the future, like we talked about, not reaching back into the past and not reaching forward, but being here now. If you're hoping, you're in, you're going into the future, right? And so, yeah, it makes a lot of sense now that I now that yeah. I And hope hope is that story we create. You know, I'm sure for the producer with the movie, when Whitney Houston died, he hoped he probably imagined the story of how that movie would be a memory to, you know, just think of the story you create. Oh my gosh, I've got the last movie that this mega star was in. It's going to be great. People are going to weep and cry and think about her and my name's going to be attached to it and it's going to be a living memory. You know, you on and on and on. That was all hope. That's what you were talking about, Jim. His preparation would have excluded hope. Yeah. I think it's important to, to remember, too, about the most important thing that Buddha said, which was his noble truth, and he said that desire is the cause of all suffering, and really hope is desire, yeah. and it just follows, and, that, and suffering, of course, is the fear. So, I mean, it just follows from, from its truth, right? Yeah. The stripped-down basic yeah. message. <laughs> so, thank you, everybody.